it has been said that the path of least resistance makes all rivers and some people crooked. Let that sink in for just a minute. We like the easy road, don't we? We like the path of least resistance, don't we? You don't believe me, do you? Let me show you some evidence of the path of least resistance and how much we like it, right? I don't know how hard you, I don't know how well you can see that or not, but the, the walkway goes this way through the scenic view through the park, but everybody said, uh-uh, I don't want to go that way. I want to just the shortcut right through, right? And so there's a, a walking path where everybody actually walks, even though this is all paved, right? What about this next one here? This next one's the same thing, right? This, somebody designed this. They took time and planned this out and said, man, we're going to have this beautiful 90-degree turn that where people will go in. Everybody said, uh-uh, nope, we're going to cut it off, right? Or what about this one here? This is a bike, or this is a walking path. And so somebody said, hey, you know what? We don't want bikes riding on this walking path, so we're going to put up this gate where people have to walk through it, right? And it's going to keep people from riding their bikes down this path. And I don't know if you can see this or not, but there is a, 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 a bike path that goes around the gate. <laughs> we want the, the path of least resistance. Or maybe this one here. This one they said, oh, man, we have this beautiful swerving walkway, right? And everybody said, nope. We're going straight line to the door. <laughs> Path of least resistance. Got any DOT workers? Anybody works for the DOT? All right, here we go. This is for you. <laughs> don't tell me we don't like the path of least resistance. Ah, oh, we should just move this limb and paint this line. Ah, oh, no, we'll just, we'll just paint around it. <laughs> we'll just paint this line around it. They must have been out in Kansas. That's how the roads were out there when we went. Whew, they were rough. Man, we like the path of least resistance. We like the, the wide and the easy and the comfortable road. But that's not what Jesus invites us to. He doesn't invite us to the easy, comfortable, wide path of least resistance. He invites us to the narrow and small road and gates. Because the easy road, the wide road, the comfortable road leads to destruction. And it's the narrow road that leads to life. Tolkien said this in Fellowship of the Ring. He said, Faithless is he who says farewell when the road darkens. Faithless is he who says farewell when the road darkens. Friends, we are in the middle of our series going through the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus has been teaching us and he's been showing us what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven, what it means to live our lives under God's authority, what it means to be salt and light. Last week we saw the importance, how important and vital it is for us to build authentic relationships with other people, both with our brothers and sisters in Christ and also with the lost. Because it's through these authentic relationships that God not only helps us to remove the plank from our own eye, but will also use us to help remove the speck from our brother and sister's eye. We said that we first must watch ourselves that, so we don't too fall into temptation, but then we also need to get about the work of restoring our brother and sister who is in sin gently by speaking the truth in love. And then we said that we need to help different people differently. So as we come here in Matthew chapter 7 to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to close up his teaching by telling us that we have a choice. 
we have a choice of what we are going to do with not only with Jesus, but with his teaching. We can either be like the wise builder who built his house on the rock, or we can be like the foolish builder, builder who built his house on the sand. The one who is like the wise builder is the one who hears Jesus' words and then puts them into practice. But the foolish builder is like, is like the one who's like the foolish builder is like the one who hears Jesus' words and walk away, walks away and does nothing. But the choice is ours. What will we choose to do? But before we choose, we must count the cost. Because if we choose to, to hear Jesus' words and obey Him, then it is far from easy. In fact, it is hard. But what Jesus, even though He doesn't promise us that it's going to be easy, He promises us that it's going to be better. Jesus starts by telling us to ask and seek and knock. And when we do, we will be given and we will find and the door will be open. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to start there in verse 7 in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. We would love to give you a copy for you to use take home as a gift from us, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's a little bit closer to the back than it is the front. It comes right before Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are four books that we call Gospels because that word Gospel means good news. They tell us the good news about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us the good news about Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, and we'll start there in verse 7. We'll have it up on here on the screen as well. Read along with me. Jesus continues and says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. A few weeks ago, as we were studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we saw that prayer is a remedy for worry because prayer helps us to transfer our trust from self to God, right? And so Jesus doubles down on this idea about prayer. I love what Mark Moore says about these verses. He says, do you believe that God is a good father? If you do, then you will pray. Jesus tells us here to ask and to seek and to knock. We said a few weeks ago that prayer must be a, a, a part, a rhythm of our everyday life. It must be part of our rhythm of life, of every day of what we do. We saw that Paul tells us to take everything to God in prayer, with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, to make our requests known to God. And here in Matthew 7, Jesus' words, and really the rest of Scripture, really imply a couple of things. First, that God wants to give good gifts. Secondly, that we can approach God in prayer personally and persistently. 
In fact, he says that here, right? He says, ask and seek and knock, which implies that we can come to God in prayer personally and persistently. Now, when we go over to the book of Romans, we see that, that, that us, us being able to go to God in prayer personally isn't based on our own good works or any of those things, but it's based on what God and through Jesus has done for us. He has prepared the way that we can come with confidence into the throne room of God. We can approach God personally and persistently in prayer. Third, if we ask for something that is harmful, or, as James tells us, if we ask for something with selfish motives, or, as James tells us, without faith, then God is not bound to us like a, a magic genie, to, to make our request known. Uh, he will grant our request as He deems best. And sometimes God's answer is yes. But sometimes God's answer is no. And sometimes God's answer is not yet. The effectiveness of prayer is indeed a mystery. God is sovereign and His will is going to be accomplished. And furthermore, Jesus has already told us that God knows what we need before we ask. So how in the world could we imagine that our prayers would actually change something? Precisely because Scripture tells us that they do. But what changes often is not the mind of God, but rather the hearts of men. Prayer often produces in us a perspective and a posture which enables us to receive God's intended blessing. Richard Foster says to pray is to change. And if we are unwilling to change, then we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic in our life. Prayer often produces in us that perspective and that posture and that changed heart in us. We pray because God has commanded us to. And in an obedient faith we pray, not because we have somehow solved this paradox between God's sovereignty and the effectiveness of prayer. We pray simply because God commands us to. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and it will be found. Knock, and the door will be opened. God is good. And if we believe that God is good, then we will pray. Now, Jesus is going to kind of break down for us why prayer needs to be an essential part of our life. Why it's so vital for us to pray. Because following Jesus, because living in the kingdom of God, because living as salt and light is far from easy. In fact, it's hard. The road is narrow and the gate is small that lead to life and only few will find it. Look at the next verses in Matthew 7 and verse 13. Jesus continues and says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Let's pause there. Jesus understands something that we have a hard time grasping. That living in the kingdom of heaven, that living under God's authority, that, that living as followers of Jesus is far from easy. We want the easy path. We want the path of least resistance. But Jesus never promises us that it will be easy. But He promises us that it will be better. 
Jesus doesn't offer us our best life now, but He offers us our best life later. We want the easy road. We want the path of least resistance. But living in the kingdom of heaven, living as a follower of Jesus, living as salt and light, few choose to follow. Few choose to walk this journey. Jesus understands what we have a hard time grasping. But Jesus also clarifies something for us as well. You know, we try to make following Jesus so complicated and complex. Right? We think, man, it can't be this simple. But Jesus says, it's simple, but it's far from easy. It's simple, but it's, it's hard. Many people say, well, you know, there are many ways to get to God. Right? All these different paths lead to God, and, and you just need to choose which path works best for you. You get to choose your truth, and if that's right for you, then that's right for you, and I get to choose my own truth. But Jesus says, no, it's not like that at all. In fact, in fact, he says there's only two paths. All those other paths lead to the same destination. They lead to destruction. And, and there's only one path that leads to life. There's only one road that leads to life. There's only one gate that leads to life, and it's narrow, it's small, and few seem to find it. There are many roads that lead to the same destination, which is destruction, but there is only one road that leads to life, that leads to God. And that's Jesus. Listen to what Peter says in Acts chapter 4. In verse 11 he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. Not some other, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Narrow is the gate. And narrow is the road that lead to life, that lead to God. Friends, salvation is only found in Jesus. It's simple, but it's hard. There's only two paths. There's only two states of our being. Lost and found. Dead or alive. Saved or in need of saving. Those are the only two options that we have. And even though we try to make it complicated and complex, and we try to make it murky, it is very black and white. There's just two roads that we have to choose from. It's simple, but it's far from easy. In fact, it's hard. And over and over again, in the New Testament, and throughout history, and I'm sure that you've also seen this in your own lives, we see that when people come in contact with Jesus, they're faced with the choice they are faced with a choice of whether or not they will follow Jesus and obey God or not and walk away unchanged. They have to make a choice. Will they count the cost? And when they count the cost, oftentimes they, they realize that the cost is too high and so they walk away. Because here's the truth. Grace is freely given, but grace calls us to die to self. The cost has been paid for, but at the same time, it will cost us everything. Many times, when we count the cost, many people just walk away sad. We see this all through the New Testament. You've probably also seen that in people's lives around you as well. Because we want the easy road. 
We want the comfortable road. We want Jesus to save us, but we don't want to make Him the Lord of every part of our life. You see, we can't have one without the other. Jesus, if He is going to be our Savior, must also be our Lord. And not just the Lord of some of our life, but the Lord of every part of our life. And that means that He is the boss of every part of our lives. If Jesus is our Savior, He must also be our Lord. The cost for many is too high. Narrow is the road and narrow is the gate. And Jesus says in order to come and follow Him, we must die to our sins and die to ourselves. He says if we want to follow Him, then we must pick up our cross and follow. Jesus told us that if they persecuted Him, that we could expect the same. Jesus tells us, uh, or excuse me, uh, Peter tell, or Paul tells us that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of, of God. Jesus never promises us that it's going to be easy. He just promises us that it's going to be better. And look, following Jesus is far from easy. And then to make it even harder, there are leaders, there are teachers, there are prophets who claim the name of Jesus, who claim to be sheep, but they are really wolves in sheep's clothing. And Jesus warns us about them next. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, and in, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on, on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. There are so many warnings throughout the rest of Scripture, along with these verses here, to tell us to watch out for false prophets, false teachers, and false leaders. And it seems that from even very early on in the church, these false teachers and prophets and leaders rose up in the church. And sadly, there are still many false teachers and prophets and leaders in the church today. Now look, I believe that God has and will continue to use Many platforms like TV and radio and social media for good, to share the gospel, uh, to be, be shared in ways that it, it could never have been before. But this has also give, given rise to and given a platform to many who claim to be followers of Jesus and claim to be leaders and teachers of the word who aren't. Now look, if TikTok or Instagram or Facebook is your final authority on theology or for information at all, <laughs> let me tell you, you need to have a reality check with where you're getting your information from. Now again, I, I believe that there are some good that can come from some of these platforms. I, I'm not, not 
trying to diminish that at all. But I'm saying, if these are your only source of theology and truth, then you need to watch out. You need to have a reality check. But there are many wolves who come in sheep's clothing. And that's just inside the church. Jesus isn't talking about those outside the church that are attacking the church. He's talking about people who are claiming to be his followers and claiming to be leaders in his church who are really wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, watch out. There are people who claim to be followers of Jesus who aren't. So I want to give you some tests that you can use to test all of the information, all of the teachers that you are listening to. And when I say all, I mean me too. Because guys, look, I'm far from perfect. I make mistakes all the time. And I ask that if you see that I am teaching something that is false or goes against the standard of God's word, I, I, I pray and ask that you would come to me in love and correct me. And correct me and correct my teaching and hold me accountable. I pray that you would love me enough to come and do that. So here are some tests that we can use when we are listening to anyone who is teaching us about God's word. First, we can test those teachers by their fruit. That's what Jesus tells us here, right? He says, you will know them by their fruit. What do their actions and their behaviors show you about who they are? Now, people and leaders, especially leaders who are, um, who are false teachers, are very, they're very good at, at fooling people. And so, they may be able to fool you for a while, but eventually their fruit is going to show. And some of those fruit that you may see being shown in their life is the fruit of self-centeredness. Many of these teachers and leaders and false prophets are self-centered. And you can tell from their conversations. It's all about what they've done, what they've said, what they've accomplished. I've done this, I've done that. It's about me. Look at what I have done. Or is it about what God has done? The second fruit that we can see in these type of people is not only are, are they self-centered, but they are also power hungry. The opposite of power hungry is humble. And so if you need to see a good example of what a humble leader looks like, man, we are blessed with three other amazing elders. And they are some of the most humble men that you will see and some of the most humble leaders that you will see. And I know that Kevin is probably squirming right now me talking about this. But if you look at Jimmy and Kevin and Jeff, even if you just look at them on Sunday mornings, you know what you'll see them doing? You'll see them vacuuming and cleaning toilets and standing in the cold and in the sun and the rain to welcome you as you come in. You'll see these men holding babies and doing anything and everything that is needed. So if you need to see an example of what a humble leader looks like, then look at our elders. These men are humble leaders. And so, if you're trying to see what a power-hungry leader looks like, you can see what a power-hungry leader doesn't look like. Look at the example of our elders. See how God is using them. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in these teachers, in these leaders? 
Do you see love and joy and, and, and uh, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? What does their fruit say about their hearts? You will be able to know these people by their fruit. Now, if you're looking for perfection, you're not going to find that. <laughs> we are all sinners in need of God's grace, right? Jesus is the only perfect leader that we have. But you can see good fruit. Are they self-centered? Are they power-hungry? Or are they giving God the honor and the glory? Are they humbly serving in any way that they can? You will know these teachers by their fruit. The second test that we can do is not only can we test their fruit, can we test their behaviors and their actions, but we can also test their teaching. I love these verses in Acts 17, verse 11. It says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined Scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and Greek men. Let me put that in some context for you, right? Paul was preaching to these people. Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, <laughs> was preaching to them, all right? And what were they doing? They were testing everything that Paul was teaching them with the Old Testament to make sure that it lined up with God's Word, <laughs> They examined Scripture every single day to test what Paul was teaching them, right? So we can test what they were being taught. Test what I or anyone else teaches you. Test that TikTok theologian. Test those other preachers and those other teachers. Test what, they are being, what you're being taught with the standard. And the standard that we have is God's Word, the Bible. This is the standard. And friends, look, we can only test against the standard when we ourselves are daily examining Scripture. So friends, are you daily in God's Word? Because if you're not, then you won't be able to test fully what you are hearing. Man, and that, that little video, that reel, that thing, may, man, that may sound good. It may sound good to our ears. It may tickle our ears and sound good, but does it line up with what God has said in His Word? Well, you won't know if you're not daily examining God's Word. We need to daily be in God's Word. In fact, that's why we have it as one of our goals, that we would be like the Bereans, that we would daily examine God's Word, not only so that we can test false teachers and true teachers, but also so that we can test our own intentions and our own actions and to be changed by them. I've shared this information before, but it bears repeating. And you can go and look at the full results of this uh, research that they did. But the Center for Bible Engagement, they found this. They found that people who would engage in Scripture at least four times a week. And look, that, that engage in Scripture is pretty loose, Okay. They had connection at least four times a week with Scripture. And they found that people who were engaged in Scripture at least four times a week are 228% more likely to share their faith, are 407% more likely to memorize Scripture, 
or 59% less likely to view pornography, or 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Friends, when we are daily in God's Word, not only will we be able to better test what we're being taught, but we can also see the growth that will happen in our own lives. We need to be in God's Word daily. Here at Journey Church, we put it like this, that we grow by studying the Bible together. We increase our desire to know the inspired and inerrant Word of God and humbly obey its truth in everyday life. Friends, we want to be like the Bereans in Acts 17. We want to be a people who don't just know God's Word, but who are doing God's Word, who are putting it into practice. And when we do, we will be better equipped to not fall for false teachers and false teaching. So before we move on, I want to just share with you two popular false teachings just so that you can be more aware and more on guard against these, that you can watch out for these. The first is what's called the prosperity gospel. You need to watch out for this. There are a group of popular teachers, and if I began to list their names, you would recognize most of them, who tell us that they want you to live your best life now. In fact, that's the title of one of their books. They teach health and wealth and prosperity as a result of strong faith. If you just had a little bit stronger faith, then then all your health problems would go away. If you just had a little bit stronger faith, then all of your money problems would just go away. If you just had a little bit stronger faith, uh, then, then you would have prosperity in your life. The problem is that that's not what Jesus teaches us. In fact, Jesus tells us that we will suffer. We will go through heartaches and hurt. We will have many hardships in front of us. He, he said that, it said that uh, many, they teach this uh, false doctrine and say that your blessings will come when you sow a gift into their ministry. That's often the, the phrasing that they'll use. You just need to sow a gift into my ministry and then you will have this blessing on your life. Let me translate that for you. You write a check to me and give me your money and then your bills will magically be paid. Your sickness will magically be given. And if it doesn't, it's probably because your check wasn't big enough or your faith wasn't big enough. You write your check for my private jet and then your sickness will be healed. So one of the fruit in these false teachers and prophets, along with self-centeredness and power hungry, is oftentimes greed. Watch out for this. Watch out for the prosperity gospel. Another uh, popular false teaching that is going around right now is the little gods teaching, right? And, And this will sound something like this. They will say, well, Jesus set aside his divinity and became fully man. He set aside being fully God and became fully man. And so all the miracles that Jesus did, he did while he was a man and not while he was God. And so that means that you and I can be like Jesus and perform these same type of miracles. And it's really kind of tricky because that kind of sounds what Paul teaches in Philippians 2, but it's not. Jesus has always been fully God, and then he became fully man while he was still fully God. And and I can't explain it, but that's how it was. He humbled himself, but at no time did Jesus, was he not fully God? And, And there is no way and no how that you and I could then become like God 
like Jesus. In fact, I believe that's what Adam and Eve faced in the garden, wasn't it? He said, if you take of this fruit, you will be like God. Right? Look at these verses, for example. Colossians 1, verse 19, Paul says, For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. Talking about Jesus. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then John opens up his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 1. And he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things that were made, and without him nothing that has been made, or nothing was made that has been made. And then in verse 14 it says, The Word became flesh, it's talking about Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is the Word. He is God. And He became flesh. But the fullness of God, of God the Father, still was in and has always been in Jesus. Jesus is fully God and became fully man. And these are just two of the false teachings, the little God's teaching and the, God, the prosperity gospel. And there are many more. So that's why it's so vital for us to make sure that we are testing those who are teaching us. We can test their fruits and see if their actions, the, the fruit that they are bearing is good or bad. We can also test their teaching. We need to watch out because there are many who look like sheep but are really wolves in sheep's clothing and they are looking to devour. Many times these false teachers love to be first. So check their fruit. Many times they are self-centered and power-hungry and greedy. Check their teaching. Is it in line with God's Word? And they... Do these things in the name of Jesus. They claim to be his followers, but if they don't repent and change, they will stand before God on the day of judgment and Jesus will say, Away from me, I never knew you. So watch out. Watch out. And we can watch out by examining Scripture daily. But we can't just examine it, we also must do it. Look at these next verses in, in Matthew 7. Jesus says there in verse 24, He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down and the streams rose up and the winds blew against and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus has already told us that narrow is the road and small is the gate that leads to life. It's not easy, but it's better. And if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to live in the kingdom of heaven, if we're going to be salt and light, then we must be like the wise builder. And the wise builder is like the one who hears Jesus' words and then goes out and does it. James puts, James puts it this way in 
chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Don't just listen to the word of God, but do it. Put it into practice. Again, here at Journey Church, we say it this way. We say that we study the Bible together, increasing our desire to know the inspired and errant word of God, and humbly obeying its truth. It's not just about hearing it, but it's about doing it. It's about obeying it. It's about putting it into practice. And if we are going to be salt and light, if we're going to live in the kingdom of heaven, then we are going to be like the man who built his house on the rock. We're going to hear what Jesus tells us, and we're going to do what it says. We're going to obey it. But the choice is ours. What will you choose? Will you choose to hear Jesus' words and obey it, or will you be like the foolish builder? Will you hear Jesus' words and not put them into practice? James tells us that if we do, it's like we look at ourselves in the mirror, and we see that we need to brush our teeth and comb our hair and wash our face, and instead of doing any of those things, we just walk away and forget what we've looked at. It's pointless. The same is true when we hear Jesus' words and we walk away and do nothing about it. We're like the foolish builder who built his house on the sand. Friends, the choice is yours. And so what will you choose today? Will you choose the narrow or the wide road? Will you choose destruction or will you choose life? Will you choose to be the wise or the foolish builder? Will you choose to hear and obey or will you choose to hear and walk away? The road is narrow. The gate is small. The wise builder living this life is far from easy. But it's so much better. God is a good father. And if we believe that, then we will ask and we will seek and we will knock. And it will be given and we will find and it will be open. So friends, which, 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 where is your house built? Is your house built on the sand or is it built on the rock? Count the cost. It's free, but it will cost you everything. Jesus has died to give you grace and he's calling you to come and die to your sin and, and to yourself so that you can truly live. This past Thursday, our brother Junius counted the cost. And he gave his life to Christ and was baptized. If you didn't get to see the video, you can watch this. I'm going to ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes, I do. You want to make him your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of you need to count the cost this morning. If you're ready to come and follow Jesus, I'm going to head out to the lobby. I'd love to talk with you or pray with you today or call or text me anytime. Where is your house built? On the sand or on the chief cornerstone? Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warnings that it gives us to be able to watch out for false teachers. We thank you that 
that even though you don't promise us that this life will be easy or, or without trouble or uh, without worry, but Father, we, you promise us that not only this life, but eternal life will be better. So Father, help us to fight against our flesh that wants the easy, comfortable life. Help us to come and die to ourselves and to our sins so that we can truly live. Father, we know that that's only possible through the sacrifice of your son Jesus, whom you have reconciled all things to yourself through. Father, we thank you that your son never set aside being fully God, but he demonstrated your love for us in laying down his life to take our place. Father, we we ask that you would help us to remember that every single day and to be grateful to you and show our gratitude by being obedient to your word. Father, we ask for your forgiveness because we fall short. Would you lead us to trust in you? Help us to ask and seek and knock because you are a good, good father. And we ask all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.